fistful of photons from the Tomorrow Men. It's from their album, It's About Time. And they gave us permission to open episode 106 of Monster Kid Radio with their tunes. You can find out more about them over at tmensurf.com. Find out more about us over at monsterkidradio.net. That's the website for the podcast, Monster Kid Radio, where we are devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm your host, writer-producer Derek M. Cook. I want to welcome you to the show and welcome you back to a discussion about... Abbott and Costello meet the Invisible Man, which, as I said last time, has become my second favorite. Abbott and Costello meet the Monsters movie, but just barely. I like this movie almost as much as Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Well, you know who likes all things Abbott and Costello? Joe Stuber, the man behind Comic Book Central, the man from the Further Adventures of Indiana Jones, from the IndieCast. He's our Abbott and Costello resident expert here at Monster Kid Radio, and he's back to keep talking about this movie. We talked about the setup. We talked about what went into the movie, who the characters are, everything being put into place in episode 105. Well, here in episode 106, we're going to talk about some story elements, and we're going to talk about the finale, because it's awesome. Before we get to that, though, why don't we break down some of the business? Head over to monsterkidradio.net to find links to our Flickr album, our YouTube page, and our contact information. I'll go over the contact information at the end of the show, but if you want to check it out now, if you can't wait, monsterkidradio.net is your hookup. Also over there, you can find links to our Facebook group. We also have a Facebook page, which you can look for on Facebook if you're a Facebook user. And we have a link to our Live 365 channel, which is 24-7 music and sounds from horror, fantasy, and sci-fi films from the 1930s and 1960s, as well as movies that remind us of that era. Steve Eckert is the Monster Kid Radio listener that helped us get this going. The playlist keeps evolving. We keep adding a few tracks here and there, changing up the order. If you're a Live 360 com user encourage you to check it out and if you're not check it out anyway now live 365 does run ads but you can avoid the ads by paying to become a vip user of live 365 if you do that please do that through the monster kid radio station page because then we get like a penny or two off of that and it helps us keep the lights on for the live 365 channel now we have some feedback we're going to go over here in a little bit at the end of this episode. We're going to talk a little bit more about what's coming up at Monster Bash, talk a little bit more about Creature from the Black Lagoon, and not just because there's a screening of it coming up in my neck of the woods. And you know what? Let's just go ahead and get to that all right after this. Do you enjoy movies like Carnival of Souls, The Mole People, Black Sunday, and The Tingler? Do you find yourself late at night reading magazines such as Film Max, Chiller Theater, or Monster Bash? Do you love vintage television programs like Sky King, Outer Limits, and The Time Tunnel? Do you find yourself surfing the net looking for the next monster movie festival or expo? Do you enjoy hearing anecdotes, cinematic details, and unusual insights into some of your favorite movies? If you answered yes to any of the above, you are encouraged to join your host, Vince Rotolo, as he examines some of the latest horror, sci-fi, and cult theatrical releases, new DVDs to add to your collection, and of course, the old classics, both good and bad. He even interviews people throughout B-Moviedom, so tune in to B-MovieCast at bmoviecast.com. The story itself is not overly complex. I mean, we've already set it up. Tommy Nelson is trying to clear his name. He's been framed for the death of his manager. Yeah. He was supposed to throw the fight. He was supposed to throw the fight. And he didn't. And you don't do that. 
you don't do that in the fifties with the mob, especially if money's changed hands. Right. If money's changed hands, yeah, you know, you take a dive when you're told to take a dive, and Tommy Nelson is going to use his connections in the boxing as well as these two bumbling detectives who really don't bumble as much as you might think to clear his name. And it's just a fun ride through Abbott and Costello land with yeah. an invisible lot boxer along the way. Yeah, and, and what I love too is that the burlesque con man character of Bud Abbott, who we've seen all these times come through, even though he's a detective and he's supposed to be the better detective than Lou, that con man still comes he's always looking to turn Tommy in. He's all, there's a reward out for him. He's ready to turn him in. And, you know, and Lou's like, no, he's that's our client. He, we work for him. We can't do that, bud. And so it's like the, you have the the great morals of Lou, and you know, Bud's just trying to turn a quick buck. Eventually, Bud comes around, and, and but all the way through the film, he's like ready to turn Tommy in. Despite that, though, it is that we go back to the money gag. It's <laughs> Costello doing the money gag on on Bud and scamming him out right. of money. You know, which... yeah, and, yeah, exactly. And then always breaking the fourth wall. Love it. Okay, I have to ask you about that because I, I did seem to think it happened a lot in this movie. I don't remember it happening nearly as much in the previous two movies we've talked about. No. Well, I mean, I think because Evan Costello made Frankenstein was such a straight up, almost a straight up horror. We've talked about this, where that right. is set firmly in that world. The monsters are straight. So I think there has to be a moment of terror right. that comes in. I think there's a there's more opportunity for comedy in this one because you've got the sight gags. You've got the Invisible Man. You got him taking his clothes off. You've got the comments that he's pulling a Gypsy Rose Lee, you know, famous stripper at that time, you know, taking the clothes off. So I think there are <laughs> moments, those comedic beats that weren't necessarily in Frankenstein, where it was more of a straight up horror film. Uh, so I think there's an opportunity to break the fourth wall a lot more in this one. I don't mind it. Apparently, you didn't like it as much. <laughs> <laughs> as often as he did. It wasn't that I disliked it. It just seemed to be different than what I was used to. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. I wanted to bring it up because you have more experience with these movies than I do. Is this something that they did in their other films away from Universal? Oh, yeah. During the routines. I mean, especially when you got in the burlesque routines, when they would do these things, especially if Costello got one over on Abbott, he would always look to the camera and just like you had that knowing glance like, Look, I finally got one over on him. So you'd have that a lot in these movies. So you see that in, in these scenes. Or even, I think even in Meet the Killer Boris Karloff, they talked about the having the skeleton key. Mm -hmm. Could you get it from Red Skeleton? I think there was even kind of an aside there a little bit. Or sometimes when the door would open, a body would be swinging. Sure. <laughs> Lou would almost look to the audience like, are you having the same, are you freaked out as I am? <laughs> I like it because it's always like those moments with Lou. I never really see Bud doing it. It's no, always it seems Lou. to be Lou. It's like Lou is aware of of the audience. And yeah. I would imagine that comes from his time on the stage because that's where you give the audience a chance to kind of, you know, react or apply. It's where you put the laugh track now. Right. That's why I love the show Moonlighting so much because they did that so much on Moonlighting. Oh, uh, yeah. And you see it's like they're not taking it seriously. Yeah, it's a detective show, but we know it's a TV show. They would always make references to the fact that it's a TV show. And honestly, even when you get into like Magnum P.I., as straight up as that show was, Magnum was always breaking the fourth wall. I mean, he constantly did it. He'd get pulled over by the cops and he would look straight at the camera. And that's a, definitely a Burt Reynolds thing from the 70s. I mean, that's you see that in like every, every Burt Reynolds movie. I'm sorry. Abbott yeah, I did go moonlight. Too. I threw a lot of wow. genres at you there, but Abbott and Costello, Daredevil, Magnum P.I., Moonlighting, Gypsy Rosalie. Wow, Lady and the Tramp. I'm just a pop culture hot mess. What can I say? Wow, we're gonna you know, cornucopia here. It's a 
Wow. Welcome to the Monster Kid Radio potluck. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think about breaking the fourth wall? Once you've established that you can do that, then you can do that. And so Magnum did it early on. Ab and Costello were doing it early on. So we've already kind of established these are the same characters, no matter whether they're called Bud and Lou or Chick and, you know, Wilbur. And these are Bud and Lou. They're going to break the fourth wall. They're going to do these things. So when they do it, I don't have a problem with it. I, I just like, hey, look, we're in on the joke as well. I didn't have a problem with it per se. It just seemed to happen a lot more in this than I was accustomed to. So well, like you said, it's, they're the same guys. So they're the same guys. I still go back to that novel, Return of the Wolfman, where Jeff Rovin, the author, says that it's the same character. Just each, They just keep changing their names because they keep having these horrible experiences and they <laughs> want to go to a different part of the country and start over. That's a great. That's a great idea. That's a great theory. I love that. And this time they just happen to go to detective school to maybe start a new life. Well, it doesn't go well because, whoop, here's the invisible man. Right, right. And now they, yeah, they got to figure out what's going on here. Yeah, and save him from this. So, yeah, so there's a lot of different things that come into play. But, you know, again, we're kind of working. We we know we're heading toward the boxing ring because it's a boxer, we know. And and that's really in Act 2 where everything gets set up is that's the plan that Tommy has is that he's basically going to put Lou in harm's way. Shocking. <laughs> Lou gets beat up again. <laughs> Spoiler alert, <laughs> Lou gets abused. Uh, he's going to put him in the boxing ring. Bud's going to be the manager. It's funny because he doesn't know these guys from Adam, but yet wouldn't you pick Bud as the boxer and like make Lou the manager? <laughs> well, perhaps he knew Lou when he was using a different name. Yeah, because he maybe knew his past as Lou King. That's right. Yes. Uh, but yeah, so we're heading there and it's like, okay, you're supposed to throw the fight, but don't. I'm going to be in the ring with you. I'm going to knock this guy out. And we're going to put Bud in harm's way then because Bud's the manager. He's going to get killed. And then we'll we'll capture everybody and everybody will be happy and all my name will be clear. That's the thought behind everything. Sure. <laughs> it goes off without a hitch. Sure. Why not? <laughs> of course it well, does. Be- before we get into the boxing ring, they, they go to the gym. And I like this sequence at the gym as well. Yeah. Because it gives Lou a chance to kind of interact with some of the gear, specifically the speed bag. Yeah. That he never gets near. Never. Ever. And, I mean, we're watching the movie. We know it's an Abbott and Costello movie, so, of course, we know there's something fishy going on. But everybody in the gym, wow, he's so fast. I can barely see him move. Yeah. Really, guys? <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is the only time he does make contact with a speed bag is, is when it's hitting him in the face. Yes. So it's like actually beating him up. And they're like, wow, he's good. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. Apparently, uh, suspension of disbelief is experienced by everybody in the movie as well. We, everything gets put into motion here, yeah. and yeah, Lou gets nicknamed Lou the Looper. <laughs> Looper, he's just so fast. Oh, he's so fast, like grease lightning Can't at one point. He says, <laughs> "Yeah," <laughs> and he's going to get into the ring with Rocky Hanlon, uh, Tommy Nelson's foil adversary. Previous, yeah. yeah, he's the guy. He's the he's the guy Lou's going to have to take out, and of course, he's got a little bit of invisible help that he's going to have along the way, hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully, hopefully nothing will go wrong, like an no. invisibility serum making you lose your mind. No, because that never happens. That never happens. Somebody hasn't been watching Invisible Man movies. Well, or listening to their fiance's <laughs> uncle who's like, this is a bad idea. This is horrible. We're messing with science. It hasn't been tested. We should not do this. <laughs> Nobody ever listens to the scientists in the Invisible Man films. Of ever. course. They just know where he's got his stuff. Yep. They always know where he's got his stuff, and he always leaves the room at, at just enough time for somebody to mess with science and, and <laughs> you know, 
Right after he admonishes him, you can't take this. It'll be bad for you. I know you want to. I'm going to leave you alone in the room with it for about five minutes. Right, right, right. Well, it's the old Hitchcock (laughs) trope, too. It's like, hey, if you show a bomb, it's got to go off. Yes. So if you see explosives, it's got to go off. If you see a serum, somebody's got to take it. Well, fortunately, Tommy Nelson did and eventually does make his way back to the ring for the boxing match. And do we want to talk about his background here a little bit with Lou and his boxing career? Real quick before we get there, though, it's yeah. like we, we've got uh, another femme fatale, another Abin Costello ah, trope that another, comes in. Yeah. Yeah, where it's like – and I love those scenes where the beautiful woman who is obviously trying to get Lou to do what she needs Lou to do – always hits on him and bud's like how is this happening and bud keeps hitting on her and you know he's like hey i'm I'm staying in the same hotel we got a room she's like i hope you enjoy your room <laughs> it's like you know i'd love those scenes where the woman's always hitting on lou yes. and lou th- and lou falls immediately in love and bud's like really uh and then we find out she's got all she's working for the mobster and yeah anyway so and, but we, we do have that trope is obviously played into this movie as well sure now this is uh, adele jurgens she plays another boots Boots Marsden. Boots Marsden. Yes. And I I recognized her from The Day the World Ended. She's done quite a few films. She's also a singer. So she's got a a, kind of like you said, that femme fatale quality going Mm -hmm. into this already. And it wouldn't be an Abbott and Costello movie if Abbott wasn't. (laughs) Frustrated? (laughs) Yeah. Frustrated with. Yeah. I mean, that, that maybe that's his shtick and he does it so well. Yeah. So frustrated watching Costello just bring in the ladies. Well, that's the comedy because, you know, Lou's exactly. obviously not going to get the ladies, but he's so simplistic. He's so simple-minded that he can be bent to their will easily. So that's why they always hit on him. And, you know, they're not going to hit on Bud because Bud's the con man. He's going to get all that. But then he just sits back. And, like, and the funny thing is Bud's a detective. Figured out that they're not hitting on him because they like him. They're hitting on him so they can use him. But eventually they kind of figure this out. They want to record her with the super stealth recording device yeah the phonograph record player buried in flowers <laughs> a large potted flower pot. <laughs> that um wow lou brings like a garden up to her room and he's just like yeah he has to set a vinyl record to record so yeah well no iphones so that's true that's true it's not like you can bug the room with anything else you right know? but yeah, no no zoom h2 so they can bring along <laughs> It's so massive. It's comedically large. Yes. Which is brilliant. And of course, you know, it's Lou gets the recording. He gets the he gets all the goods on her. And, and what happens? What predictably was going to happen. As soon as I saw that there was a record involved, I knew <laughs> this is not going to end well. No, of course, Lou's going to shove it down the back of his pants to hide it, right? And and of course, he's going to sit on it. And she's going to sit on his lap. And <laughs> yep. <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff, man. <sighs> So this was her kind of greasing the, the gears here, kind of setting it up to where he's going to take the dive. He's going to take the fall. Yeah. Yeah. So we're and then we get to the to boxing the match. Uh, and it's yeah. And I think they what they shot it with two cameras and not many takes. I mean, they were they were lean and mean on this. Abin Costello, who typically don't pay attention on a lot of their films, are always back playing gin rummy in their trailer and, and frustrating directors. They apparently were lean and mean on this one. They came in under budget earlier than scheduled and really a tight boxing match really really well shot the actor who played rocky does he have an athletic background uh you got me on that one he seemed to he looks right into it yeah he looks the part part. well he did some stunts according to the imdb so maybe that's where it kind of came from but yeah i mean he looks the part and he he, his body moves the way you would imagine a boxer from the 50s would move right yeah and i mean who knows maybe watch some film or maybe he's a boxing fan too or something but yeah it looks really good 
Especially, you know, like we said, Lou's got the background as a boxer. Who's Lou King? Fought under that name for a while until his dad found out what he was doing and put an end to that and became uh, Lou Cristillo. Became Lou Costello, the Lou Costello that we love. But yeah, he's he's got the moves down. So Lou King, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How, how old was he when he was doing that? Do you know? I don't know the age, but it's early, early, like early, early. early. Yeah, 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 early, early. I mean, there's if you there's pictures of him as a boxer out there. So if you oh. look, I mean, he looks good. You know, he looks like a boxer. He's not. I mean, we know him as you know. Lou Costello, we know him as Costello, you know, fat, dumpy, right. and funny, comedic, and everything. But he was an athlete uh, back in the day. I think they even talk about that. There was a what was the show? Um, this is your life. I think they did a This is your life uh, in the mid late fifties or something with Lou. I think they talk about that on there as well. So he did a lot. And that was always a funny thing. As funny as he was, when the cameras would stop rolling, he would go into the producers and directors and like talk about world events and current events and how are we going to fix the problems that are going on in society today. And we talked in the last episode about the youth foundation that he was at. So he was very, he was a brilliant mind. He was very much tied in with a lot. He has a lot of uh, experience in his background, a lot of different things. He's not just the buffoon that we see that, that we've come to learn. That's the one we laugh at, but yeah, he was a multifaceted individual. I think you would have to be smart and, and be aware of a lot around you and the world and society and all that in order to, hit on those comedic notes to make that society laugh and forget about the problems that they were dealing with. So you really have to be aware of all these things going around uh, him at the time in order to, I don't know, be effective as a comedian, as a performer. Yeah, it, absolutely. And, and I think it's so frustrating when you find out what happened to them. And, and again, who knows with all the tax things, you know, was it, were they poorly managed? Were they just not paying their taxes? You know, they ran into all this problem with the IRS um, I think it was even after this movie, they held a big party where they like were able to pay off like one final check to the IRS or something like that. But um, yeah, some some tragic things. I mean, they ended up almost broke. You hate to kind of see that. But and there's the reason I mentioned that is there is a little moment in this film where they're kind of taking the money and counting it out. One for me, one for you. One, two, three over here. And they're like, who's that one for? And he's like, the tax man. <laughs> Yeah, I, I thought that too. When I saw that, I was like, okay. Yeah, that's specifically for <laughs> that. That's they, a thumb in the nose to the IRS. Yeah, it's yeah. like they're taking all our money away. So, but it's but it's nice that they, like you said, they can have that comedic turn to it. That they can right. kind of like work that into a gag. Sure. The, and, and it's a it's a great gag in the movie. It, I mean, it's not just about them. I mean, everybody you know doesn't like to pay their taxes. So, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. You know, everybody can identify with that. Even today, you know, fifty, sixty plus years later. We can still laugh at that. Well, I don't know if so. Wesley Snipes can, but. Well, <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Save that Expendables 3 money, Wesley. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> back to the boxing. Yes, back to the boxing. Yes. So the boxing match, you know. For somebody who had some boxing in his background, he spends a lot of time with his hands up and over his head, <laughs> covering his eyes. I don't know what that was. It's the old peekaboo. Is, is that what it was? That's the old peekaboo. The, 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 yeah. Okay. That's the old right. you know, hide and hit. Well, I don't know what it was. Again, suspension of disbelief by all the, the boxing fans around him. <laughs> Again, Lou never gets close to him. Tommy's yeah. always like hitting him. The only time Lou gets close is when Lou's getting punched. <laughs> That's it. But yet somehow the guys and, – and obviously one thing we, we kind of alluded to is the fact that Tommy's having some serious problems. With the serum in his blood, 
yeah. coursing through his veins. It's making him go mad. I mean, he's he's freaking out. He's you know, I'm going to rule the world as an, the invisible ruler, and you will all be my minions. I mean, and you know, Bud's like, oh, dial it back. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's a lot of that kind of stuff going on. And then he just gets drunk and drunk and drunk. You know, he just keeps drinking. So eventually, like, he doesn't even show up for the boxing match. So Lou's kind of like left on his own. And then he shows up, and then he goes in. But then he, you know, he's passing out, or then at one point, like, Lou swings wildly and knocks him out. Uh, yeah. And he falls. So there's a lot of tripping over. So, yeah, Tommy's got a lot of problems at this point. But then the sight gags, the physical comedy comes in where, you know, they're tripping over the body of Tommy that's been knocked out in the ring. And, yeah, a lot of cool stuff that's going on. Yeah, and it's not just it's not just Lou tripping. I mean, Rocky's tripping as well, and yeah. it's it's very well done. I mean, it's, it, we're laughing at both characters here. Obviously, Casello more than, <laughs> right. than than the boxer himself. But I, I thought that was a great scene. I mean, outside of the fact that we can all tell that nobody's hitting anyone, <laughs> right? And you would think because obviously money's exchanging hands, and so you, you right. would think that the fix was in already because yeah, nobody's hitting anybody, but people are getting knocked out and falling down around. Um, and, but they realize at this point, Lou's not taking the dive. No, not at all. He's not going to do this because Tommy's in there. This is all. So this is all basically again, a setup to get Bud in trouble, you know, and they're going to kill Bud. Uh, and again, Sheldon Leonard is such a great heavy in this (laughs) movie. I could, I, I love him. You've seen him in so many things. It's one of those, you know, you see his face, you know who he is. He's upset. One of his henchmen is dressed up like a cop, so they kind of, you know, they've got everything covered. They're keeping everybody back. I thought that was smart. That yeah. was a smart little moment that I didn't expect. It's like, oh, so that's how they keep him alone. They have a fake cop at the door. That was smart. Yeah. Oh, they're they're not messing around here. I mean, they've they've obviously got this down. And the, uh, the guy goes in. He's like, yeah, you look good dressed up like a cop. You know, <laughs> this is well thought out. It's a, it's a yes. pretty good script. Of course, the cop can't stop somebody he can't see. So, of course, you know, we have the invisible boxer show up in the final scene for the final mix up between the two. We're calling them mobsters. I don't think they ever say they're mobsters, but the two the two bad guys, the the cop at the door, our heroes. It's a great finale. I think this movie hits on every scene, every scene that goes through. There's not a scene that I would have cut. There's not a scene that I got bored with. You were talking about how the boxer was drinking. I love the scene with just Tommy and Bud. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and I Bud knows he's losing it. Yeah. And and the, the waiter keeps coming back as there's two voices, but only one person sitting there, two glasses mm-hmm. of champagne. And, you know, Bud has to act drunk to compensate, to act like, as if he's the one saying this. So great acting by Bud Abbott in this scene, too, you know, where he's like, I'm going to take over and get me more alcohol, you know. <laughs> Yeah, it's, Tommy's making these crazy pronouncements about how he's going to be the invisible king. And yes. when the waiter turns around, Bud's like, uh, uh, alas, poor York, you know, starts spouting off Shakespeare. Yeah. And it's, Just it's like great. random Shakespeare lines, you know. <laughs> That's a great scene. Good acting really by Bud. Amazing. I mean, he, he, does, he doesn't often get the credit he deserves, I think, for being the straight man and, and for, for his acting ability. Uh, right. I think there was a – was there a Playhouse – was it Playhouse 90 or something? He After they broke up, he did – uh, a dramatic piece on television uh, by himself and really, really good. Yeah, it's on YouTube. I've, I forgot what it is. I don't have it in front of me, but uh, yeah, just check Bud Abbott. And uh, he's a good actor. He really is. He really is. They just were together for so long, so they're tied together forever. But he, sure. I think he could have had a career on his own. Huh. Well, I mean, this scene, I think, demonstrates that while he may have sparkled with Costello, he can certainly hold his own on his own. Yeah. Or at least with a disembodied voice. Yeah. <laughs> Feeding him lines off camera. So. Right. Um, but again, that, that's a level of acting that you don't even get now. 
just we already talked about episode one, right. so it's really tough sometimes. He carried that scene. I thought it was great. Yeah, it's 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 good all around. It, it's a, it's a solid Evan Costello adventure. Um, it really is. Like you mentioned, that final scene is just so many things coming into play. You've got the gunfire. It, it hits what a steam pipe. Yeah, I think and so, the steam. So obviously, we have to see the Invisible Man somehow. So right. there, you know, we we've got fog in the woods earlier or smoke. You know, lose puffing a cigarette and trying to see him. Now we got steam. Yeah, and so you get to see the the classic hand drawn outline of somebody in the steam mm-hmm. in the finale scene where there's guns, there's knives, there's a fight. It's all coming together at the end. This so far, now I love I love me uh, me Frankenstein. Don't get me wrong. The Meet the Killer, meh, it was okay, but this one, I mean, is right back on track for me. Yeah, it's a solid. I mean, obviously my favorite is Frankenstein, but this one I think. They're really into it. Like you said, it's not an overly complicated plot. No. Um, you know, even at the end, it's like, you know, we've got the outline of him and the one thug is like, you know, he throws the knife. So we got some knife play there, too. So, you know, Tommy gets hurt that way. It's not complicated. It's bad guys. It's good guys and bad guys. It's mm-hmm. a guy trying to clear his name. And the special effects, I think, really enhance it. I think the performances, I think the comedy, uh, everyone taking it seriously. It's really good. It's a good film. Agreed. Meet the killer, Boris Karloff. It's a typical parlor mystery. Mm-hmm. I thought it was good, but yeah, this gets us back into the monster territory. It really does. Now, Invisible Man movies can end one of two ways. The Invisible Man goes crazy and dies, or the Invisible Man finds a way to reverse the effects of the invisibility. Right. Well, this is a comedy, so it's not going to end on a downer. So you can kind die. of assume, no, he's not going to die. But it does lead to a final complication for Costello himself, which I felt came a little out of nowhere. Not necessarily, in, you know, we're spoiling the movie. but Well, you're <laughs> setting up the fun. final gag. It's all to set yeah, up the final up. gag. I mean, it's yeah. just like the boxer. He's a He is a boxer to set up the boxing scene. Right. So Lou does what he does to set up the final sight gag. Well, are you referring to him Starting to go out, or are you referring to the legs being on wrong? <laughs> a little both. <laughs> it's a strange. Yeah, basically, you know, Tommy gets a knife thrown into him. He's losing a lot of blood. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, Costello has just the right type of blood. You know, uh, so. Of course. And I, it's such a throwaway line, too, because, you know, see, Lou starts to disappear. Again, a very cool effect, too, on Tommy, where you see the circulatory system. Yes. And, you know, so, again, really good special effects. But then Lou obviously starts to disappear. Why? Because some of the serum backed up into Lou's blood. Okay, we'll buy it. Whatever. <laughs> sure. But yeah, the the final sight gag. Go ahead. It's just it's crazy, man. So he's walking around, and part of his body is visible. Part of it's not. Yeah, but he, he first puts, of all, he's invisible in the elevator with a bunch of yes. nurses. Yeah. <laughs> he's Lou Costello. So obviously he's going to harass all of them. That was good. Yeah, and start making you know, out with one of them. I could have ended there, but you know what? <laughs> I just love that, that, that he's invisible, and the first thing he does is just hit on women. Sure. It's Lou. Well, why wouldn't you, I guess? I, yeah, I, Bud I, would if, if I had a chance. Right now. Well, maybe not. But. <laughs> so, yeah, but then it, it wears off. Yeah, and it, it wears off in stages. Yeah. You don't see all of them all at first. You just kind of see the top half. So unlike the other invisible people we've seen in other invisible movies – it's not, you know, we go to the circulatory system in the veins and all that, and then, you know, the muscle and the skeletons. Nope, it's just the top half of his body that comes back. Right. And, of course, he's naked because that's what you do when you're an invisible person. You, you know, you got to shed your clothing so you're completely invisible. We've established nobody wears underwear anyway, too. So. Exactly. So the top half of his body comes up, and he finds a sheet, and he kind of wraps it around himself, and he's walking around. He runs into the police officer again. 
Yeah. Uh, into Detective Roberts, William Frawley, who Fred this Marks. whole time, <laughs> this whole time has been kind of a, a thorn in Lou's side anyway. Oh, you're seeing people that aren't there again. You're talking to invisible voices. Yeah. This whole time he's giving him a hard time sending him to the psychiatrist. And there's, this always, whole there's always an authority yeah. figure that treats Lou like a child. Yes. That has to kind of smack him down. Yeah. So we always have. It's either an inspector or somebody, somebody of authority, sure. a landlord in the TV series. A McDougal. A McDougal. <laughs> I love Miss McDougal. I love McDougal. Yeah. Gotta go watch a movie yeah. again. Yes. But then when Lou's body comes back all the way, <laughs> his legs are on backwards for Why? some reason or other. I don't know. I was hoping you could tell me. I don't know. So he can run. It's the gag of him running backwards but forwards. I don't I know. Somehow don't. he, yeah, he transforms and his body has twisted itself around. It's it's very much a full blown cartoon at that point. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, it is. It, it's sort of the the animated sequence we didn't get at the beginning of the film. Ah, <laughs> oh, there you go. We didn't get an animated right. intro at the beginning of the film. It was all stills. Uh, but here's sort of a very cartoonish, animated, special effectsy kind of way to end it. Yeah, it's look, it's silly. It makes no sense at all. But it's a great sight gag of seeing Lou with backwards feet running forward, but running backward through a wall. Exactly. So, and what's the lines? Like, I didn't think that this would be the end or how the, you know, and they obviously get the butt joke, you know, the butt right. reference, you know, so anyway, but funny. I mean, it's cute. And like you said, how else, you know, you can't end it on a down note. No, you can't. You got to bring it. Yeah. And that's the thing is that these, these monster movies, one of the things, there's that book uh, that I was looking at too, which I don't necessarily recommend the horror spoofs of Abin Costello, a critical assessment of the comedy team's monster films. I don't necessarily recommend it because I think the author found a lot of things in there, like a lot of Freudian things that that really aren't in the movies. He kind of gets weirded out on some of these things, but he mentions uh, one of the things I do like is the fact that he mentions that some of these things really come back into play where, Either Abbott or Costello kind of either become the monster or become part of the monster's world. You know, they're obviously in Frankenstein. They're trying to get Lou and switch brains with the monster, you know, and in this one, he becomes invisible. Uh, we'll see it kind of play out in um, Jekyll and Hyde as well, too. So, yeah, those endings kind of are very similar as well that follow through these films. Very interesting. You know, I hadn't thought about that, but you're right, because in Frankenstein, they're trying to switch the brains. And we're going to see that again in, well, at least one more movie we're going to talk about. Right. But that they do kind of get fully immersed in monster movie world, I guess. Yeah, and they're both but, thought to be the killer in the last one, alternately. Right. But they never lose the comedic core of who they are, which is, I think, the key to these films. Right. It's always a, an Abbott and Costello comedic romp with monsters or a killer or an invisible man or you know who knows what else. Right. It's good stuff. And what, and what I mentioned, too, is that this was really a resurgence. This movie was so popular between Frankenstein and some of the other ones that had come out. And now, especially this one, it was a really big hit with the audiences and they were able to take their career again to television. So the following year, right after this film, they went mm-hmm. right into the television series. I thought it was interesting. It mentioned one thing I looked up. It says between uh, 1951, when this came out in 1953, they made six films. Unbelievable. They, wow. ho- they hosted the comedy hour 14 times shot 52 episodes of their television series and made a tour of Europe. It was like 51 to 53 was Abbott and Costello mania. Wow. Yeah. They did a lot of work. So yeah, it was thanks to films like these that really brought a resurgence of popularity for Abbott and Costello. And you could see from this film, the boys still have it. Yeah, they do. Well, they better have it if they're going to keep that busy over the course of two (laughs) years, but yeah, they certainly do. Yeah. Yeah. When I, 
hadn't really thought about it, but I'm now looking at the IMDb page for at least for Bud. Yeah. And man, he was a busy, busy boy. Yeah, they did a lot. I mean, I don't think yeah. people realize. So yeah, I mean, they're they're allowed to to do the hey, we're not going to show up on the set, and we're going to play gin rummy, and we're going to do all these things. I mean, I think they were allowed some of those things just because they worked so hard. And when they were on camera, they threw everything into it. Even between takes, just getting uh, you know pie fights and different things, just to keep the mood light and to to keep the comedic energy up. All those different things you never see that today. You never do. Oh no. And if somebody did behave that way, it wouldn't be because they were allowed to. It's because they were entitled, and it would make the news and be all over TMZ. So right. yeah, right. So yeah, I think the I think we can forgive them some of their eccentricities because they the uh, the amount of work they put out was just insane. Especially and the when, amount of quality work. Correct. Yeah. And like we said, especially at a time when everyone thought their career was over, it just blew up again. And you watch the television show, it, it's gold. Almost every episode is gold. So good stuff from the boys. Definitely. So what is the next meat film in, in our series? There was one that we're going to skip, right? Well, you had mentioned meet Captain Kidd, which I right. didn't really put into. I mean, Charles Lawton. I mean, it's kind of cool, uh, but I wouldn't consider him a monster. No, especially not in the universal genre monster. So I think the right. next one proper for the series, oh, Boris Karloff returns in 1953's Abbott and Costello meet Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Here we go. Yeah, is this a good one? <laughs> They're all good. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Abbott and Costello. Well, same director, Charles Lamont coming back. Yeah. To direct the boys. So. We'll definitely have to have you back for that and, and tell you what, promise to you, promise to the listeners, we aren't going to wait nearly as long next time no. to get you back on. It's just scheduling and all that. We'll find a way to lick that and get you back on to talk about Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Definitely. It's going to be a treat. Definitely looking forward to it. I can't wait. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's it's Boris Karloff and it's Evan Costello. What more do you want? <laughs> True. In a, in a much in a much more expanded role than he had in Meet the Killer Boris Karloff, where he just kind of played this weird swami cool hypnotized lou but uh this one he plays dr jekyll yeah he's one of the the main players in this one the the main he's the monster yeah he's the one <laughs> he is carlo so, so that's the one we want and they play care let's see bud is slim and lou is tubby so <laughs> bud and lou that's that's their names yeah they're bud and lou okay bud and lou all right so joe where can people find you you've got one podcast that's all you and some awesome guests and then you also contribute to another show so what what are these shows yeah um well the one uh, the indiecast the indiecast.com uh ed dalasta and the boys are all bringing you the latest and greatest from the the world of indiana jones depending on when this particular episode airs i know keith voss and i do a further adventures of indiana jones segment that is reviewing each and every issue of Marvel Comics run in the 80s. And we've had a lot of guests on from the Marvel bullpen. And so we are wrapping that up. Uh, we are just finishing up, depending on when you're listening to this. And we're going to announce where we're going to take further adventures beyond that, beyond the Marvel years. Uh, and we've got some more stuff coming out. We've got radio dramas. We've got read-alongs. We've got all kinds of cool Indiana Jones stuff coming up on there. And they can also check me out at comicbookcentral.net. So that is uh, me talking to the legendary talents who have brought comic books to life. By the time this goes out, you'll have hit 30-plus episodes, I believe. Let's see. As of this recording, you just put out episode 28. So. 28 with Mark McClure. Yeah, Jimmy Olsen uh, yeah. from the Superman film series and also Dave McFly from the Back to the Future series. So he was he was great. <laughs> I mean, that was a fun one. You've had some great guests over there. I'm a huge fan of comicbookcentral.net is where people can find that. IndieCast.com is where you can find the IndieCast. And everybody knows I'm a huge Indiana Jones fan. So 
Aren't we all? Uh, well, yeah, if you're not, <laughs> I don't know if we can be friends anymore. So. <laughs> I agree. I got to agree with you on that one. Yeah, there's something inherently wrong with you if you don't like Indiana Jones or comic books or monsters. Come on. That's true. It's That's all true. good. Well, I, I think it's a safe bet that if people don't like monsters, they're not listening to our voice right now. Probably, <laughs> Probably not. Bet. Yeah. That is a safe bet. But uh, no, I appreciate you You know, always getting the word out uh, about the show. Uh, really appreciate it. And I, I don't think I congratulated you on 100 episodes of Monster Kid Radio. I mean, I'm only at 28, so that's <laughs> – <laughs> I mean, you 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 are the podcasting machine. We've already established well, <laughs> that. But to have this new one at already uh, at a hundred episodes, man, a lot of monster goodness coming out of that. So congratulations, good on you, and hundred plus more. Yeah, at least two hundred. Uh, uh, you know what? There are plenty of monster movies out there to talk about. There are. So thank you for your kind words, and thank you for being part of those 100 episodes. Couldn't have done it without people like you and all the other guests that we've had on the show over the past hundred plus episodes, and of course the listeners. Thank you. Appreciate being here. I'm going to try real hard not to wait nearly as long to get Joe back on the show to talk about the next Abbott and Costello Meet the Monster movie. Boris Karloff is back with Abbott and Costello Meet. Well, I don't want to spoil it. So, Joe, thank you again for taking the time to appear on the show. Listeners, you can find him at Comic Book Central as well as on the IndieCast. Speaking of the IndieCast... A guest that Joe and Keith Voss had on their further adventures segment was Carrie Gamble, comic book artist, illustrator, publisher. He worked on the Indiana Jones comics. He also worked on some monster projects, and he's going to appear on Monster Kid Radio next week. That's right. Carrie Gamble comes to Monster Kid Radio, and he's bringing Bella Lugosi with him. That's going to be fun. I cannot wait to get to that. But before we do that, we've got some feedback to go over. Hey, Derek. This is Steve Sullivan, author of Daikaiju Attack and White Zombie, the novelization. Just call in to check in and say hi and congratulate you again on 100 shows. They were excellent. I really liked the Monster Countdown on the 100 shows. I hope you'll be putting those up on the web sometime so we can read them as well as see them and maybe uh, we can find some uh, movies and monsters that some of us haven't seen that way. That would be awesome. The Giant Gila Monster was really, really good. Another good set of podcasts. Made me go back and watch that again and made me uh, check out Gila as well. Uh, I thought Gila was hilarious. I thought it was really well done and interesting. Uh, the Giant Gila Monster is still a very good low-budget B-movie. And uh, yes, it is colorized. There is a colorized version of that on a double disc with the Killer Shrews, which was done by the same production company, if I recall correctly. And you can get them in both black and white and color, not all on one disc, but on two separate discs from the the people that colorized Ray Harryhausen's work. So the colorization is pretty darn good. Although the Gila Monster's uh, spots are more pink than orange, which I think is probably truer to life, but I think less scary and, and is just kind of a little weird. <laughs> Anyway, uh, that was a lot of fun. It was also really good to hear you talk with Mitch Gonzalez because I love his work with uh, Christopher Mim on his movies. Uh, great stuff. I especially love the uh, the close-up face of the giant spider in The Giant Spider, which is one of my favorite movies from last year. So it was great to hear him and the Horror Party Beach. Makes me want to go back and watch that again soon. So good luck with the the show and keep doing what you're doing you're doing really really great and uh, you keep making them I'll keep listening to them and every once in a while I'll drop in and talk about a film with you 
Take care. Steve, my man, I could not have reached episode 100 or any future episodes, really, without the special guests that have appeared on the show. Steve has appeared on the show in the past. He's been a special guest. And yeah, we got to get you back on the show. Maybe after Monster Batch, things kind of settle down. We'll come up with a movie or a topic or two and have you back on the show. And listeners, if you have not picked up the White Zombie novelization or Daikaiju Attack, you are missing out. As for doing something with the list, the top 100 movie monsters, yeah, I know I kind of stalled on that. And part of it's because we've had some things happening in our personal lives here at Monster Kid Radio Central, and we're getting ready for Monster Bash. But after Monster Bash, we are going to go ahead and do something, something kind of cool, something I've been wanting to do with Monster Kid Radio for a long time. So we're going to do that. Stay tuned to monsterkidradio.net or your iTunes or however it is you listen to Monster Kid Radio to find out what that's going to be here probably in about a month or so. That'll be coming soon. Larry Underwood, Dr. Gang Green's been giving me some advice and some encouragement. So I'm looking forward to moving forward on that. The Giant Gila Monster. Love that movie. I am so thankful to Scott Morris for bringing that to the table when we talked about that here on Monster Kid Radio. One of my favorite movies that we've talked about here on the show in all 100, where are we? 106 episodes of Monster Kid Radio. One of my favorites. I need to pick it up on DVD. Get that colorized version with the killer shrews. I think those two movies would be an awesome double feature to do somewhere. And they're public domain, so maybe somebody already has, but you know, I mean, outside of the original run, of course. Steve, thank you for calling in. If you guys and gals want to call in and be cool like Stephen D. Sullivan, well, give us a call. 503-479-5657. That's 503-4795-MKR. Or you can email us at monsterkidradio at gmail.com. Okay, I talk about Creature from the Black Lagoon a lot. It's my favorite movie, and I'm going to get an opportunity to meet Julie Adams and Riku Browning at Monster Bash here in a... Well, it's... Pretty darn close, June 20th through the 22nd in Mars, Pennsylvania. I'm going. I know Scott Morris and Tracy Morris are going to be there. I know Vince and the gang from the B-Movie cast are going to be there. I'm looking forward to meeting all of my friends, all of my fellow classic monster movie lovers, as well as Julie Adams and Rico Browning. I've met Rico. He's awesome. Love to meet him again. But Julie, mm, I cannot wait to meet Julie. I, you know what? Cool in my jets. I have to, because if I don't, I get too excited and I start looking at the calendar and I obsess about the whole thing. With good reason, because Creature, like I said, is my favorite movie. And I'd love to do a spin-off podcast here on Monster Kid Radio devoted to nothing but Creature from the Black Lagoon. Listeners, this is how you can make this happen. We've set a goal. 50 reviews in the iTunes store for Monster Kid Radio. If you are a user of iTunes, we're going to ask you to leave us an honest review. For Monster Kid Radio, okay? An honest review, letting us know what you think. As of this recording, we have 46 reviews. We are four away. Once we get to 50 reviews, we're going to launch the thing. I'm excited. I've got content. I've got ideas for more content. I've got guests lined up. It's going to be a treat. Now, the weekend after Monster Bash, that's June 27th, 28th, and 29th, here in the Portland, Oregon area, the Joy Cinema in Tigard is bringing in Creature from the Black Lagoon, showing it on the big screen in 3D. Saturday, June 28th, is the Monster Kid Radio Crash. Now, they've not announced showtimes, so I don't know when we're going to see it. It'll be in the evening at some point, but there is a crash happening. If you're a Facebook user and you follow Monster Kid Radio or are a member of the Monster Kid Radio group, you'll see that we've created an event already. So join the event. Let me know if you're going to be there. I would love to meet you. And, you know, if you've never seen me before, if we've never met... I'm real hard to miss. I'm the guy wearing the Hawaiian shirt who looks like he's having the most fun in the room. And I typically have a recorder on hand. In fact, I'll probably be recording at the crash. So if you are interested in appearing on Monster Kid Radio, I'd love to chat with you and have you on the show. Of course, not a requirement. 
but I'd still love to meet you. I'm going to go ahead and sign off here. Like I said, next week, Carrie Gamble. Looking forward to that and looking forward to seeing you guys and gals right back here on Monster Kid Radio. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, the song Fistful of Photons, that belongs to the Tomorrow Men. It appears on their album, It's About Time. Find out more about them over at their website, tmensurf.com. Dot com. It appears on this episode of Monster Kid Radio with their permission. Support surf music. Talk to everybody next week. <laughs>